You know what, what we're dealing with here is serious. You know, we live in an interesting time, in an interesting day, and as we deal with myths, a lot is on the line here. I mean, let's put this in perspective today and, and ponder this in a different, kind of deeper way. If you were to say, go and see a doctor, okay? And, and you go and see the doctor, and the doctor says to you, uh, and of course, why did you go to the doctor? It's because you've been feeling chest pains, and, and there's a tingling sensation going down your arm. And you say, doctor, I'm fearing I'm having a heart attack. And you go and see the doctor, and, and let's just say the doctor never really checks your heart or never checks anything related to your cardiovascular system. Instead, starts focusing on your toe. And you say, doctor, but the pain is up here. I'm fearing I'm having a heart attack. And the doctor says, you know, I'm really not in the mood to look at stuff like that today. I'd rather focus on your toe. Or imagine like being all set up for, for open heart surgery and you get there and, and the, the surgeon that day after surgery, you come out and, and you're in recovery in the OR and, and as you're coming to in the next few days, you, you realize that there's no incision in your chest. And when the surgeon comes to check on you and says, how you doing? Is your... Is your leg recovering and saying, well, my leg, what are you talking about? Well, yeah, I, I wasn't in the mood to do operation on your heart that day. I just thought I'd uh, look at, uh, uh, you know, doing a little plastic surgery on your leg uh, cellulose there. I hope that was okay. Uh, what would you say? Like, what are you talking about? That's not what I went to the doctor for. I got a problem somewhere else. What are you dealing with that? Well, I didn't feel like it. Hey, or, or you go and, and you have your car worked on and... And, and your car has, has been clearly like pulling to the right over and over again because there's an alignment issue. So you take your car in to have the alignment checked or, or fixed and, and, and you get the bill and it says that they've changed and given you a, a new battery and uh, they've done some repair work on your fender. And you're like, well, I didn't ask for that. Oh, I didn't feel like really dealing with the alignment. I thought I'd do that instead. I mean, w would you stand for that? You know, there's something wrong about that. There's something in us that says, you know, if something is right, that would suggest there might be something that's wrong. And yet that, friends, is culturally not recommended anymore. You know, we live in a day of, of, of relativism, or it's what's often called postmodernism among those who study these things. And a symptom of postmodernism is that truth is relative, that there's no such thing is absolute truth. In fact, that's why our title today is a myth that we're going to bust to that together today. And the fact that often those who claim this say there is no such thing is absolute truth. Think about how this plays out. It's based on what I feel on any given day. That there's no moral absolutes, there's no cultural absolutes, that what I feel, what I want, is right for me. You've maybe heard me talk about a guy I once met. Uh, Shane and I were, were traveling. We were, um, happened to be in, in California. We'd gone out there. And, and uh, of course, when you go to California, it's always warm, right? Because we were going to spend time on the beach. So we brought nothing but shorts and, and T-shirts. And you get there to San Francisco, and it's freezing. And, and so we had to go shopping. And I, I do think this was a ploy on my wife's part to have an excuse to go shopping. But she's not here, so I can say that. And... Um, we went shopping, we're at a Gap store, and, and she's trying on clothes, and I'm just having a conversation with a guy there, and I remember his name distinctly. His name was Max. And, and Max and I got in a philosophical, you might say theological conversation, 
And, and I'm not sure how the conversation steered that direction, but I ended up asking Max, I said, do you believe there's such a thing as absolute truth? And he said, well, you know what? I believe that truth is different for everyone. And I said, well, explain that. He said, well, your truth might be your truth, and I accept that, and, and, and I respect that. And he said, but my truth might be different than your truth. And he said, so in that sense, there's absolute truth, but absolute truth is, is different for everyone. I'm like, interesting. And, and then I asked the question, I said, well, what if my truth, because I'm just having a bad day, what if I feel like just taking two by four and hitting you over the head a couple times? How would that play out for you? He said, well, that might be your truth. He said, but obviously that would not be good with me. But if it's your truth, who am I to say what's wrong? You know, that's symptomatic of where our culture has become. You know, I, I found this, and in the end, and there's another cool word, not really fun, but it's a, a word that's thrown out there a lot. It's called pluralism. And the idea behind pluralism is that everybody can have their own truth. It, it, culturally, you can say this. You can say something is true, but you have to stop there. You can't say, therefore, something is wrong. Have you seen how that plays out? Have you noticed that? We've got a lot of people who are standing up for their own truth, but as soon as somebody says, therefore, something is wrong, suddenly we got problems. People are up in arms. How, how, how dare you say something is wrong? Well, how do we deal with this, folks? Because maybe there's a part of us that's, well, that, yeah, that, that, yeah, that makes sense. It, it sounds good. If, if everybody's right, then nobody has to be wrong, and we all just get along then, right? But wait a minute. What happens when that has moral implications? Is it really true that we can do whatever we want morally? It doesn't really matter anymore? Does that mean it doesn't matter if we take advantage of somebody? Is rape, incest okay? Is child molestation then okay because it feels right to somebody? Is murder okay because after all, it's my own truth and that person bugged me. Or how about the kid this week up in Minnesota? Um, they, they found out his plot was to blow up his school and, and kill as many people as possible at his school up there. And they were interviewing him. And, and you know, what was interesting is from all outward appearances, he had a, a good upbringing and a solid home, and, and nobody really saw any risk factors there, and yet he had this plan to hurt as many people as possible and then take his own life. And, and in the interview, when they were talking to this kid, I mean, he was just saying, well, I just, I just felt like it. I just felt like doing it. Like, where does that come from? You know, we live in an interesting time where this is playing out widespread and, and the implications of it are huge so how do you respond let's just think about this today when someone says to you I believe there is no such thing as absolute truth how do you respond to that well, this is where I got to put on the safety goggles okay you ready for me Because we're gonna blow something up you ready don't worry nothing's gonna make a big noise but this really is blowing it up you know, this, this argument has been out there for a while, and you think about it philosophically. When someone says, I believe there is no such thing as absolute truth, here's the way to respond to them. Ask them, do you believe that to be absolutely true? And if they say no, well, then they don't believe that, right? But if they say yes, what have they just done? 
They have suggested there is such a thing as absolute truth because their absolute truth is that there's no such thing as absolute truth. And in saying such a thing, they've just declared absolute truth. Are you with me on that? Right? That's how ludicrous this whole idea is. Because the argument in and of itself defeats itself. Because we know at our core there is truth. All of us are wired this way. In fact, Scripture makes it very clear. I want to read a passage with you here. Let's look at this. And, you know, Ravi Zacharias, before we read the Scripture, um, if you're not familiar with Ravi, he is um, in, within the, the Christian realm, a brilliant, brilliant thinker, um, grew up in India and, and, and came to faith later, and he is, just has this incredible mind. But a lot of stuff that Ravi Zacharias has written, he's not a Lutheran, I'm not going to apologize for that, he's not, but man, is he brilliant when it comes to defending the faith. He's a Christian apologist and, and speaks on, on campuses and in a lot of different settings where he has defended the Christian faith biblically. And, and it's one of the things he has said. He says, the fact is, the truth matters, especially when you're on the receiving end of a lie. Because guess what? You know, it's one thing to, you know, uh, take your car in and have something else fixed and say, what? What are you talking about? It's another thing when eternity is on the line for our souls. Because we're not just dealing with something that's unimportant here when we talk about truth as it relates to God's Word and as it relates to spiritual things. We're talking about eternity here. And, and to be caught up in a lie is to be very, in a very ugly place. You know, we, read this with me, and, and you know, there's, there's some proofs for, you know, just within the realm of, of, of humanity that point out the fact there is such a thing as truth, that we can't just keep covering it up. Um, you know, when, when Paul writes in Romans, and he's inspired to write these words, what does he say? He says, indeed, when those who do not have the law do, do, do by nature things required by the law, they are a law for themselves, even though they do not have the law, since they show that the requirements of the law are written on their, on their what? On their hearts, their consciences also bearing witness. What Paul is getting at here is that everyone is born with a natural sense for this. Um, and, and how do you describe and explain within Darwin's theory of natural selection that we're all here by accident and by chance and that the survival of the fittest wins out. How do you explain the fact in every culture throughout human history, they've had a basic understanding that killing is wrong, that stealing is wrong, that, that rape and incest are wrong? How do you explain the fact that there is a basic morality to every world culture and civilizations going way back? Where's that come from? And you might say, well, that's just logical. That just makes sense. Well, where's that come from? I mean, if we're going to play this out, that there's no such thing as absolute truth, and play that out and say everything goes, well, why is it that every culture has had a sense of right and wrong? Any sense of government, any sense of laws, of right and wrong flow exactly from that conscience. Where does that come from? One who doesn't believe in absolute truth has to grapple with that question. Where does that deep center of right and wrong, where does it come from if we're here by accident and just victims of chance? Where does it come from? You know, Jesus comes and, and makes it clear what, what truth is. And 
We, we heard that reminder in God's word that there'll be a time where uh, people will fall victim to, to myths and lies and, and abandon the truth, where we turn away from it. And, and why is that? Jesus convicts those that, that are listening to him that day, and they get in this grappling argument about truth. And, and Jesus says, you know, you're, you're just following your father, the father of lies, because that's what Satan is. He's the, the writer of lies. And we are in a culture that is filled with it. One lie after another. The, the people are falling victim to or are falling to into willingly. And that's the problem is what, what's so, so exciting about that? Well, part of it is, is that when we're drawn to something that, that pulls away from there being absolute truth, what does it take off of us? Think about it. It takes away any consequence. It takes away any moral dilemma. It just says, hey, I can do whatever I want. That sounds really good until our conscience catches up with us and we're filled with guilt and shame and, and that burden of realizing maybe I wasn't right. And to not be right suggests that there is something that is right, something that is true. Where's that truth flow from today? You know, as we look at that, God's word, I want to take a look. There's a couple words that play out in God's word, words for truth. Um, first one, from the Old Testament, from Hebrew, it's a word meaning firmness or constancy. It's the word emeth, emeth. And, and, and this, this word has that sense of it does not change. You see, that's the ultimate definition of truth, isn't it? Truth doesn't go with the times, doesn't change with, with a sense of, well, I don't feel like it today. That doesn't feel right anymore. See, truth stays the same. In God's word in the Old Testament, the word it uses again and again is that word for emeth, that, that there's truth that does not change with time. When we get to the New Testament, there's another word, aletheia. It's a Greek word meaning to unhide or, or to hide nothing. And, and when Jesus comes and, and says that he is the truth, he doesn't say, I'm a truth, one of many truths, one that changes depending on your mood or, or the day. No, Jesus comes and says that he is the truth. And that is something that reveals something amazing. Because what God reveals is that longing of our souls, not just to have an informational path to know God and know about God or know something interesting that uh, passes our time philosophically. No, God has come to bring something even greater. And that is a relationship with a person. And that is what is so amazing and beautiful about being a follower of Jesus. Because he comes not to just declare a truth. He comes to be the truth. And that one who comes as the truth is one who can be known. You realize what he faced in his time. As we face sometimes challenges and persecutions for standing up for the truth. We're in good company today. Because our God gets it. He endured it himself. Let me put this in perspective. Let me read this to you. Think about it. Almost 2,000 years ago, truth was put on trial and judged by people who were devoted to lies. In fact, truth faced six trials in less than one full day, three of which were religious and three that were legal. And in the end, two people involved in those events could answer the question, what is truth? After being arrested, the truth was first led to a man named Annas, a corrupt former high priest of the Jews. Annas broke numerous Jewish laws during the trial, including holding the trial in his house, 
trying to induce self-accusations against the defendant and striking the defendant who had been convicted of nothing at the time. After Annas, the truth was led to the reigning high priest Caiaphas, who happened to be Annas' son-in-law. Before Caiaphas and the Jewish Sanhedrin, many false witnesses came forward to speak against the truth. Yet nothing could be proved, and no evidence of wrongdoing could be found. Caiaphas broke no fewer than seven laws while trying to convict the truth. The trial was held in secret. Number two, it was carried out at night. Number three, it involved bribery. Number four, the defendant had no one present to make a defense for him. And five, the requirement of two to three witnesses could not be met. Six, they used self-incriminating testimony against the defendant. And number seven, they carried out the death penalty against the defendant the same day. All these accusations were prohibited by Jewish law. Regardless, Caiaphas declared the truth guilty because the truth claimed to be God in the flesh, something Caiaphas called blasphemy. Now, when morning came, the third trial, the truth took place. When the result that with the result that the Jewish Sanhedrin pronounced the truth should die. However, the Jewish council had no legal right to carry out the death penalty, so they were forced to bring the truth to the Roman governor at the time, a man named Pontius Pilate. Pilate was appointed by Tiberius as the fifth prefect of, of Judea and served in that capacity, A.D. 26 to 36. The procreator had power of life and death and could reverse capital sentences passed by the Sanhedrin. As the truth stood before Pilate, more lies were brought against him. His enemies said, we found this man misleading our nation and forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar and saying that he himself is Christ the king. This was a lie. For as the truth, Jesus had told everyone to pay their taxes and never spoke of himself as a challenge to Caesar. After this, a very interesting conversation between the truth and Pilate took place. Therefore, Pilate entered again into the praetorium and summoned Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Are you saying this on your own initiative or did others tell you about me? Pilate answered, I am not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and chief priest delivered me to you. What have you done? And Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. Therefore Pilate said to him, So you are a king. And Jesus answered, You say correctly that I am a king. For this I have been born, and for this I have come into the world, to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth, hears my voice. And that's when Pilate said to him, what is truth? And that question has been reverberating throughout history. And yet the one who endured the lies, the one who would eventually go the way of a cross, the one who would die in our place as the way, the truth, and the life would rise again to declare victory, that he is ultimate, absolute truth. And that that truth can be known personally and relationally. That truth that can be declared over us as people who often fall victim to lies, often even choose lies, even speak lies. That God, God can say to us, you are loved, you are forgiven in spite of it all because I paid for it. Through my truth, I am the gift to you of truth, absolute truth, declared over you as children of God. The same one who would say, and when you know the truth, the truth will set you free. 
And when the Son sets you free, the truth, you are free indeed. In Jesus' name, amen.